What will you be doing on Friday the 10th of June at 10am? Will you be able to join me and hopefully others in London to make a noise about the institutional prejudice and discrimination against people with a label of personality disorder? Welcome, dear listener, to this, the first of five in the anti-prejudice box set, which, if I'm honest, is less of a podcast, more of a call to action. Consider it a reaction to a recent invitation to register for a personality disorders course at the headquarters of the Royal College of Psychiatry at 21 Prescott Street in London, commencing at 10am on Friday the 10th of June. This has been a tipping point for me. Like so many other people lugging around the label of borderline personality disorder, I have a history of neglect, loss, abuse and invalidation from folk who really ought to have known better. 80% of people with the label have a history of abuse. I'm going to stick my neck out here, but I'm going to say 100% have experienced habitual invalidation from those charged with their care at various points of their lives. Around 75% of people with the label are women. This advert, which I'll be reading out in full shortly, followed by the apologies from the Royal College of Psychiatry, was yet another assault, an insult, on top of a history of prejudice and discrimination meted out in the name of care. For me, this is the rather huge final straw that broke the camel's back. If you take a look on social media today, Twitter mainly, where this raised its ugly head, you'll already see the noise and indignation has died away like yesterday's chip paper. This is my attempt to keep the story at the forefront of people's minds. I've contacted Mind, the mental health charity who have been told have picked up the mental health anti-stigma baton following the sad demise of Time to Change. They have yet to respond. I need to hold my hands up here. I was naive to think I could discuss the issues, hear and share people's views and start to think about a plan or plans of action in an hour. What was originally going to be just one podcast has turned into a short series, a box set of five episodes of thoughts, comments and interviews from people who've been impacted not only by this advert, but by a lifetime of shit fuckery. I've been amazed at how quickly folk have rallied round, eager to share their stories and experiences so others may learn. I'm eternally grateful to Nell, Laura, Lara, Holly, Emma, Naomi and Holly for their valuable contributions. People who stepped up at a moment's notice to make a noise and share their experiences of mental health prejudice, discrimination and stigma. I've spoken to a lot of other people about this. Well, anyone who's had the, the misfortune to be in my conversational range for longer than 30 seconds. And the horrible truth is that nobody was in the least surprised when they read the advert. Nobody. Bear that in mind when you see, hear and read the comments from the Royal College of Psychiatry and its supporters that claim that this was an aberration from some rogue outriders. Make no mistake. Prejudice and discrimination courses through the mental health services for people deemed to have a personality disorder in the UK today like Blackpool through a stick of rock. I won't pretend I have the faintest idea what to do, but this, raising awareness, is a start. I've been doing all I can to raise awareness for the past 15 years, so I'm more than aware of the limitations of just doing that. We need action and collaboration. 
We are a massive, lovely, wonderful, exciting and imaginative group of people. Just imagine if we worked together, what we could achieve. Put it in your diary. 10 a.m. on June the 10th, outside the Royal College of Psychiatry on Prescott Street in London. Links in the blurb. Let's do something. This is what the advert said. Personality disorder, PD, is a thorn in the flesh of many clinicians as, however they may wish to avoid managing those with such a diagnosis, those with a personality disorder label have a tenacious hold on the clinician. While only small, a small minority of PD patients actively seek treatment, although often in a dysfunctional manner, the majority avoid contact with health professionals, but nonetheless cause considerable distress both to themselves and those around them. The uncertain nature of the PD diagnosis and the unproven nature of its treatment results in psychiatrists being damned if they do, i.e. getting involved and then being blamed for the subsequent outcome, and damned if they don't, i.e. avoiding responsibility and hence being blamed for the subsequent outcome. This course is aimed to equip clinicians with a rational and defensive approach in the management of this group. Learning objectives. The epidemiology of personality disorder, its comorbidity with other axis one mental disorders, and why it's important for the general psychiatrist. A brief note on the theory of personality and the various ways in which normal personality is construed. The classification of PD and why the revisions of both ICD-11 and DSM-5 are unsatisfactory for the clinician. An assessment of personality disorder that makes some sense to the clinician. How our knowledge of the non-specific effects of psychotherapy can be integrated with extant knowledge of pharma, pharmaco, uh, pharmacology therapy to produce coherent treatment plan. How do you construct a clinician formulation for someone with a personality disorder? Why community mental health teams are the ideal vehicles for managing the majority of those with PD and how the challenges posed by those with PD can be addressed. Does personality disorder change and if so, what changes? What is the long-term course for different personality disorders? Who is the course aimed at? General psychiatrists in the main, but variants of this have been well received by other mental health professionals such as psychologists, mental health nurses, social workers, etc. And that's it. I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear. Apologies were soon issued by the Royal College of Psychiatry and the whole of Twitter wiped its collective brow in the knowledge that a few unruly miscreants had been dealt with. The course has now been banished from the kingdom and the world where, where no stigma or prejudice against people labelled with personality disorder has been restored. Only. Here's the first very prompt response. We would like to offer an unreserved apology. Clearly the language and sentiments underpinning the words we use were not acceptable and they go against our values. We will issue a fuller response after having carefully considered what has happened. With this, they gave the Twitterati a link to their values and behaviours page, presumably to demonstrate their previously good character. 
More on that in a bit. Links, as ever, in the blurb. They posted this further unreserved apology later in the day. College President Dr Adrian James has issued an unreserved apology for material the Royal College of Psychiatry published promoting a personality disorder event in June. Dr James says the promotional material was totally inappropriate in language, tone and sentiment and disrespectful to patients. Totally the opposite of the college's values. The college has cancelled the event and plans to put on a new event about personality disorder at a later date with patient and care of representatives involved from planning through to delivery and post-event review. Dr James said, Yesterday we published promotional materials about a personality disorder event which was scheduled to take place in June. We entirely understand this terrible mistake will have caused hurt and distress to many. We understand this is not good enough and for what we are for that we are very sorry. We want to do better. The wording used in the promotion was totally inappropriate in language, tone and sentiment and disrespectful to patients. I was totally appalled to see it as it represents the opposite to the college's values which we strive every day to uphold. We have urgently reviewed our pro process for creating promotional materials. All marketing materials will be thoroughly checked in future to make sure nothing like this can happen again. We have also cancelled the event. We are committed to providing the best care to patients with personality disorder and will be holding a new event later in the year. We will be involving patient and carer representatives in planning the event through to the through to delivery and post-event review. We hugely value the support and advice provided by the patient and carer representatives who work with the college and I would like to apologise to those patient representatives for the content we published. We have of course removed it from our website along with all the information about the event. The Royal College of Psychiatry's report about personality disorder published in 2018 emphasises the importance of compassion, curiosity and empathy when working with patients, stating All staff should strive to demonstrate the principles of compassion, curiosity and empathy when working with people with personality disorder and challenge stigma by promoting good attitudes towards people with personality disorder. Dr James added the promotional materials about this event fell woefully short of meeting those standards. This was not an event developed by a specific college faculty and I take full responsibility for what has happened. In addition to introducing a new process for re reviewing marketing materials and involving patient and carer representatives in the planning of a new personality disorders event, the college plans to review the way co-production happens around member training and education, including enabling those who take a more critical standpoint to play a role. Dr James concluded, the college has been involving patient and carer representatives in our work more and more. All patients are entitled to be treated with respect and compassion and clinicians are responsible for making sure this happens. Although patients and care representatives should not carry this burden, 
These events have highlighted what can happen if we don't work collaboratively and has only added to our determination to use the invaluable input of people with a lived experience in the future. As a result of this apology, we all gathered around a campfire and sang Kumbaya. This is back covering at its very best. Worst, depending on which side of the political divide you find yourself on. To reiterate, nobody I know was surprised at this. Nobody. Sure, they were angered, outraged and disappointed and hurt by it. But there was nothing in this bizarre course advert that was new to us. We've all seen it many, many times before. We've all heard this hate speech. Have no doubt that's what it is, hate speech, being spouted by those charged with our care who have no fear of repercussions, never mind sanctions, within the hallowed walls of institutionally prejudiced organisations. For Dr James to be suggesting that this was produced by a rogue element is at best naive, at worst duplicitous. There will be many of you who will be saying, either quietly to yourself or to anyone who will listen, yes, this goes on, but it, it wasn't me. Nell H from Twitter gave me the permission to use her recent thread. She says, for anyone who's been following the Royal College of Psychiatry personality training furore, you may be interested in this information. It seems as though this is not the first time the training ran. It looks like there were three events held in 2019 by Professor Connor Duggan, the person we know who was going to run the training at the now cancelled event in June. Professor Duggan is a, prof is a forensic psychiatrist. Some of his work includes exploring the, the link between personality disorder and criminality, harms of psychological therapy and sex offending. Given his forensic interest, it's not clear why he was thought to be the best person to teach about personality disorders generally. The description for the training is the same, almost word for word, except the quiet bits aren't said out quite so loud. I contacted the Royal College of Psychiatry to ask about the history of this course, how many years has it been running, and so on. Their response, what do you want the information for? Not really in the spirit of transparency set out in the unreserved apology issued by Dr. Adrian James, is it? I'm interested if this event runs three times a year annually. Has there already been an event held in February this year? Given that we know psychiatrists will have already received this training in 2019, how will the Royal College of Psychiatry monitor that going forwards? Practice has already been affected. I also just want to say a big thank you to at SalfordMH. If he had not shared the email he got advertising the training, the course would still be going ahead, potentially for many more years, and we'd be none the wiser. Ultimately, what all this shows is that this wasn't a one-off event. At Royal College of Psychiatry have run it at least three times at £195 a go, and it looks like it was sold out. Given that the response to my question about the history was so defensive, it's hard to take the, the unreserved apology at face value. Thanks to Nell for that. They're absolutely right. Right, where was the outrage? 
Were you one of the psychiatrists or other mental health professionals, such as psychologists, mental health nurses, social workers, etc., who attended the course, who led those running it to believe, to conclude it was well received? For those of you who don't know, at Salford MH is a community and rehabilitation psychiatrists, one of presumably hundreds who received the hateful publicity in their inbox, but the only one who raised their head above the parapet to say, hey, this isn't right, and to have the courage to share it on social media. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of you, who received this advert and or attended one of the courses. You might have thought, hmm, that's a bit off. Sure, there might have been a number of you who think the publicity material is accurate in the description of people labelled with personality disorder. If you're one of those, take a long look in the mirror. This is what bigotry looks like. This is the reflection of someone who blames victims of abuse for their own incompetence. There may be many of you, though, who know the system's broken. You may believe the construct of personality disorder lacks both clinical and scientific reliability and validity. Over dinner with your friends and family, you might acknowledge that the new International Classification of Diseases, the ICD-11's new categorization of this group of people, is horribly flawed. And it's nothing more than a budgetary gatekeeping exercise disguised as clinical assessment. That it will cause untold damage to thousands of people who will be bumped off waiting lists, that's if they were ever fortunate enough to get on a waiting list in the first place, while increasing prejudice and discrimination they experience at the same time. But you're doing nothing about it. Desmond Tutu said, If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If you are doing nothing to challenge the status quo, this is you. You are the oppressor. You might have a mortgage. You might want to get on with your colleagues. You might have a thousand reasons for keeping quiet, but make no mistake. Your silence is violence. Contrary to what What's stated in the Royal College's Values and Behaviours page, the institutional prejudice and discrimination is endemic. This course description is just the tip of a huge, festering iceberg. Laura, a mental health nurse working in accident and emergency, gave me her permission to share this, her thread from Twitter. In my mental health nursing course, we had a half session on personality disorder included in a forensics lecture. The teacher spent the entire thing encouraging us to speak up about how awful working with PDs made us feel. They're so difficult. It's okay to hate your patients. They get under your skin, don't they? Get it off your chest. We learned nothing about the trauma those patients have experienced, either prior to or during the psychiatric care we deliver. When I was on placements, I heard, uh, so PD, countless times. When I shadowed a liaison team, a, a senior doctor asked what area of work I wanted to work in. When I said personality disorder, she said, bloody hell, five minutes with one of them and you'll want to blow your fucking brains out. It's been so hard being a clinician while living with a personality disorder, along with other diagnoses. Until very recently, I would, if feeling brave, challenge gently, which would escalate the vitriol. I'd shut down, get further absorbed in self-hatred, and want to quit. 
No more. I'm sick of it. Might not always be possible, but I'm going to try to call this shit out when I hear it, even if it means outing myself. I'm proud of where I've got to, even with the inevitable blips. Helps to work with legends like Dr. Chloe Beale. Wish me luck. Thank you, Laura. You can find Laura at LauraTVLL on Twitter. For those of you still thinking, it can't be that bad. Here's a response on Twitter by a psychiatrist who took offence when the mad community didn't fall over with fawning gratitude at Dr. James's apology. I'm surprised at how many aggressive replies this tweet received. An adverse reward for doing the right thing. This was followed by a blatant barb at the personality disorder community. But accepting the, the apology requires a certain maturity and goodwill also. For those of you who are unaware, emotional immaturity is a club that's been frequently used to beat many of us in our most vulnerable moments. I make no secret of the fact that for the last 16 years or so, I've been lugging around the label of borderline personality disorder or emotionally unstable personality disorder in new money. I know there'll be a number of you who'll be thinking that my outrage is typical BPD behaviour, immediately invalidating anything I and thousands of others have to say. When I was studying for my degree in psychology back in the late uh, 1980s, I remember the air of gobsmacked disgust when we were told about Sigmund Freud's attitude to young women who'd, who'd been sexually abused by close friends and families in the early 20th century. He believed that their reports of assault were nothing more than fantasies of what they wanted to happen. Can you imagine seeking help, entrusting a caring professional with this terrible truth, only to be met with this unimaginable invalidation? Let's fast forward a hundred years. How have things improved? Consider this. Out of 52,210 rapes recorded by police in England and Wales last year, just 843 resulted in a charge or a summons. That's a rate of 1.6% according to Home Office figures. Bear in mind, that's a charge or summons. That's not even a conviction. According to the Office for National Statistics data, there are an estimated 128,000 victims of rape every year in England and Wales. Less than 20% of victims report it to the police. That means just 0.65% or one in every 159 rapes in England and Wales lead to a charge or a summons. Rape Crisis, the charity, say we've effectively decriminalised rape. With these statistics, I can't argue against them. And already we're blaming the victims. What was she wearing? Where was she walking? Was she flirtatious? Did she struggle? Was she drunk? Did she make sure her drink wasn't spiked? Add to this the huge increase in domestic violence during the pandemic in the year up to, 20, uh, the year up to tw uh, March 2021. Domestic abuse-related violence increased by 6% in England and Wales. In that year, there were a staggering 845,734 incidents reported to the police. Incidents that increased by 28% when the perpetrator's football team win or draw, and by 38% should they lose. 
all of the behaviours listed under the umbrella of personality disorder could easily be described as normal reactions to those abnormal circumstances. And yet, when people who've already been massively failed by both society and uncaring systems present themselves to their GPs and mental health services, to, we tell them they're disordered, labelling them as manipulative and attention-seeking, a thorn in the side of professionals. For those of you who may dispute, may dispute that, surely only a system, systemically prejudiced culture could have allowed for the rise of the high intensity network. The high intensity network, HIN, was an organization created by an ex-police officer who, for reasons best known to himself, decided that frequent flyers people deemed by someone somewhere in the mental health system to be overusing crisis services, accident and emergency, mental health crisis services, and 999 were an expensive thorn in the side of the NHS, who required coercion instead of care. Using a made-up and untested system, named rather coyly in my, my opinion, Serenity Integrated Mentoring, SIM, and some remarkably selective, uh, made-up, not peer-reviewed by anyone statistics, he gave the hard sell to every high up in the NHS he could find to explain just how much money he could save them. His statistics were so awry, the Hampshire Constabulary, whose actions he claimed supported his methods, demanded that he stopped using them because of their selectivity and inaccuracy. Although people signed up to the high-intensity network Serenity Integrated Mentoring Programme were told it was voluntary, many were put on the scheme without their consent or knowledge. It soon transpired that the largely untrained, except in the made-up art of Serenity Integrated Mentoring, police officers and for their sins social workers were there to block their clients' perfectly acceptable use of crisis and emergency services, especially given we currently live in a climate where we can't call ourselves service users because there are no fucking services. To be clear, suicidal people were being blocked from the only support services they had access to because some idiot had decided they didn't need help. They were just badly behaved. Think about it. Things must be particularly bad for someone to phone crisis services, to go through the highly triggering process of once again telling a complete stranger about their story and their current emotional distress, only to be told anything from they're not ill, they're just badly behaved, to go and have a nice warm bath. It's important to stress not all crisis services are as bad as this, but for what they are, pretty much a one-size-fits-none response to emotional distress, they are incredibly expensive, especially when compared alongside, I don't know, actual tailor-made services that actually meet the needs of individuals. The remarkable thing about Serenity Integrated Mentoring is it's not cheap. It's not a cheap alternative by any stretch of the imagination. Having two professionals build up to your home up to three times a week for up to two hours each time, in including time for paperwork and an infrastructure to support them, is likely to cost somewhere in the region of, I don't know, 600 quid a week. For all those social workers out and therapists out there, just imagine the kind of service you could provide for that kind of money.
If their voluntary clients have the audacity to break the rules and seek help using crisis or emergency services, then they're told they will be um, voluntarily taken to court from where they can be equally voluntarily be placed in custody. I don't know about you, but I always find the threat of imprisonment incredibly relaxing when I'm going through an emotional crisis, especially when the two people who visit me three times a week are instruments of a system that's preventing me from getting the actual support I need. The vast majority of the people being co coerced under this system were young women with a personality disorder label who've almost invariably been the victims of physical and or sexual abuse. The fucking idiots, for that's what they are, in the NHS who signed off on this untested, bullying, pseudo-behaviourist bollocks are responsible for this hugely damaging system spreading unchecked like wildfire across NHS trusts and causing untold stress to hundreds, possibly thousands of vulnerable people. You may be pleased to hear that when the Stop Sim campaign, a coalition of mental health activists, highlighted what was going on across social media, the high intensity network and the utter bollocks that is serenity integrated mentoring vanished into oblivion. But there's a problem. During my social work training, we were always told to minimise abuse and stress. Even when our instincts told us to get in there and save whoever from whatever form of distress they were experiencing, we were told to do all we could to ensure we weren't making the situation worse. For many, the withdrawal of their serenity integrated mentoring workers has left an almost intolerable vacuum where, again, hundreds of people feel the abject isolation of life with no support. Maybe social work and community mental health teams have lacked the motivation, the flexibility, to fill the holes left in people's lives with any kind of input, caring, therapeutic or otherwise. Who knows? I await updates with bated breath. I know what you're thinking, dear listener. How the fuck did something like this get through the rigorous checks and balances of the NHS procurement system? With just the slightest scrutiny, the folk from the Stop Sim campaign were able to identify the huge flaws inherent in the system. So what were the professionals doing? Many professional organisations were quick to get on the anti-Sim bandwagon, declaring their astonishment at how such a system could gain so much traction so quickly. Even the Royal College of Psychiatrists looks to camera, strokes beard meaningfully. I believe Serenity Integrated Mentoring was given free passage because of the same institutional prejudice against people with a label of personality disorder in the NHS that emboldened the attitudes of, of the authors of the now infamous course. The course that you're hopefully coming to realise is just more of the same for people labelled with a personality disorder in the UK. The only way I could possibly conceive that actual human beings were threatened with imprisonment for expressing their distress must be because the people in charge of commissioning services were so far removed from those vulnerable people in their minds. They're not like me. Lara got in touch. Not only has she written and performed a very powerful poem that you'll hear in just a moment, She's also given me, the permi given me permission to share this message she sent to me. I was diagnosed with EUPD last year in hospital. I challenged it and asked why. 
They said, because you self-harm, it's self-explanatory. I never had a formal assessment. Last week, 14 months later, I had a diagnostic review screening appointment. I was told I in no way fit the criteria for EUPD. My experiences are actually the opposite and now I'm awaiting an assessment for autism and once I'm more stable to start trauma therapy for PTSD. It's like a, a weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I can be seen as me rather than this label. The Royal College of Psychiatry advert hurt me because it made me realise how I've been viewed for so long. It felt like a character assassination and I just wanted to withdraw from the world. Seeing people speak out has made me feel less alone, yet so angry that others are going through the same. Here's, Lara's, here's Lara performing the poem. Recently, I've been given this new buzz label. And it's like as soon as they see me, all my cards are on the table. It's not the elephant in the room, nor the dirty laundry in the washroom. Rather, it's this thing they all say without question. Yet to me, it is a form of oppression, as I am the bane of their profession, and it prevents my self-expression, causing a deep depression. But this ain't the war of Spanish secession, or the partition of the monarchy. This is the partition of what they see, and what makes me, me. See... When I go surfing, skating and cliff jumping, it's reckless. But in others, it's brave, courageous and adventurous. It's like I'm always seen through this warp lens and the present parts of me are just a pretense. So now I want to set something straight. I'm not just one big, disordered personality trait. I don't have an unstable sense of identity and I sure as hell know what I want to be. I don't like to split or cause tension, and nor do I want your pitiful attention. Some days I'm funny and amusing, although my sense of humour can be confusing. I'm often kind and supportive, yet when situations require it, assertive. Sure, right now I feel empty, lost and sad, but that's because I'm mourning for the life I once had. And now I've been given this judgmental word. It's like however hard I shout, I am never heard. The words echo, bouncing around a cave, as I try my best to ride this new wave. All I want is the hope of a better future, but they are failing to see the bigger picture. I'm just a human who's been through shit, trying to piece themselves together bit by bit. Please don't cause me a lost cause, or use that as an excuse to withdraw. No one is beyond hope, and it sure as hell ain't your place to write my horoscope. So keep your ICD and your DSM, because my life is no better because of them. In fact, they shred me into parts and tear me into pieces, and my will to keep on carrying this diagnosis rapidly decreases. Yet, when I express my frustration, my anger, I don't get praise for my candour. Instead, I'm seen as over-emotional, and they perceive me as uncontrollable, inconsolable and disposable. See, it's far easier to dismiss the words that I share, to close your eyes and pretend the stigmatising judgments aren't there. So for as long as you dismiss the wider systemic issues, keep e please keep your appointment slots and your scratchy tissues. I don't want the label of EUPD. I just want to be me. Huge thanks to Lara. Go on, admit it. You thought, oh my God, a mental health poem. This is going to be shit. Lara's poem, I'm sure, has knocked that prejudice out of the park. 
Thanks again to Laura and Nell for allowing me to share their thoughts and experiences. In the next episode of this anti-prejudice extravaganza, I'll be speaking with Naomi Malhotra, a woman who literally saved my life at a time when I'd lost everything. My job, my house, my family and many of my friends. A woman lugging around a label of borderline personality disorder who supported and continues to support many who've been ignored and forgotten by the system. Please comment, like, share, subscribe to help us to get the message out. Thanks for listening.